Section 20 of Essays, Book 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Daniel Fraser. Essays, Book 1 by Michel de Montaigne. Translated by Charles Cotton. Chapter 20 of The Force of Imagination. Fortis imaginatio generat casum, say the schoolmen. A strong imagination begets the event itself, axiom scholast. I am one of those who are most sensible of the power of imagination. Everyone is jostled by it, but some are overthrown by it. It has a very piercing impression upon me, and I make it my business to avoid, wanting force to resist it. I could live by the sole help of healthful and jolly company. The very sight of another's pain materially pains me, and I often usurp the sensations of another person. A perpetual cough in another tickles my lungs and throat. I more unwillingly visit the sick in whom, by love and duty I am interested, than those I care not for, to whom I less look. I take possession of the disease I am concerned at, and take it to myself. I do not at all wonder that fancy should give fevers and sometimes kill such as allow it too much scope and are too willing to entertain it. Simon Thomas was a great physician of his time. I remember that happening one day at Toulouse to meet him at a rich old fellow's house, who was troubled with weak lungs, and discoursing with the patient about the method of his cure, he told him that one thing which would be very conducive to it was to give me such occasion to be pleased with his company, that I might come often to see him, by which means, and by fixing his eyes upon the freshness of my complexion, and his imagination upon the sprightliness and vigour that glowed in my youth, and possessing all his senses with the flourishing age wherein I then was, his habit of body might, peradventure, be amended. But he forgot to say that mine, at the same time, might be made worse. Gallus Vibius so much bent his mind to find out the essence and motions of madness, that, in the end, he himself went out of his wits, and to such a degree that he could never after recover his judgment, and might brag that he was become a fool by too much wisdom. Some there are who through fear anticipate the hangman, and there was the man whose eyes being unbound to have his pardon read to him was found stark dead upon the scaffold by the stroke of imagination. We start, tremble, turn pale and blush, as we are variously moved by imagination, and, being abed, feel our bodies agitated with its power to that degree, as even sometimes to expiring, and boiling youth, when fast asleep, grows so warm with fancy, as in a dream to satisfy amorous desires. But, Quasi transactis saepe omnibus rebus, profundant fluminis ingentes fluctus vustemque cruentent. So that as though it were an actual affair, they pour out mighty streams and stain the clothes they wear. Lucretius. Although it be no new thing to see horns grown in a night on the forehead of one that had none when he went to bed, notwithstanding what befell Cippus, king of Italy, is memorable 
who having one day been a very delighted spectator of a bullfight, and having all the night dreamed that he had horns on his head, did, by the force of imagination, really cause them to grow there. Passion gave to the son of Croesus the voice which nature had denied him, and Antiochus fell into a fever, inflamed with the beauty of Stratonike too deeply imprinted in his soul. Pliny pretends to have seen Lucius Cossitius, who from a woman was turned into a man upon her very wedding day. Pontinus and others report the like metamorphosis to have happened in these latter days in Italy, and through the vehement desire of him and his mother, Walter Puer Solwit, quae foimina wararat, Iphis. Iphis the man fulfilled vows made when he was a girl. Ovid. Myself, passing by Vitry le Francois, saw a man the Bishop of Soissons had, in confirmation, called Germain, whom all the inhabitants of the place had known to be a girl till two and twenty years of age called Mary. He was, at the time of my being there, very full of beard, old, and not married. He told us that by straining himself in a leap, his male organs came out, and the girls of that place have, to this day, a song wherein they advise one another not to take too great strides, for fear of being turned into men, as Mary Germain was. It is no wonder if this sort of accident frequently happen, for if imagination have any power in such things, it is so continually and vigorously bent upon this subject, that to the end it may not so often relapse into the same thought and violence of desire. It were better, once for all, to give these young wenches the things they long for. Some attribute the scars of King Dagobert and of St. Francis to the force of imagination. It is said that by it bodies will sometimes be removed from their places. And Celsus tells us of a priest whose soul would be ravished into such an ecstasy that the body would, for a long time, remain without sense or respiration. St. Augustine makes mention of another who, upon the hearing of any lamentable or doleful cries, would presently fall into a swoon and be so far out of himself that it was in vain to call, bawl in his ears, pinch or burn him till he voluntarily came to himself. And then he would say that he had heard voices as it were afar off and did feel when they pinched and burned him. And to prove that this was no obstinate dissimulation in defiance of his sense of feeling, it was manifest that all the while he had neither pulse nor breathing. It is very probable that visions, enchantments, and all extraordinary effects of that nature derive their credit principally from the power of imagination, working and making its chiefest impression upon vulgar and more easy souls, whose belief is so strangely imposed upon as to think they see what they do not see. I am not satisfied whether those pleasant ligatures with which this age of ours is so occupied that there is almost no other talk, are not mere voluntary impressions of apprehension and fear. For I know by experience, in the case of a particular friend of mine, one for whom I can be as responsible as for myself, and a man that cannot possibly fall under any manner of suspicion of insufficiency, and as little of being enchanted, who, having heard a companion of his make a relation of an unusual frigidity that surprised him at a very unseasonable time, being afterwards himself engaged upon the same account, 
the horror of the former story on a sudden so strangely possessed his imagination that he ran the same fortune the other had done and from that time forward the scurvy remembrance of his disaster running in his mind and tyrannizing over him he was subject to relapse into the same misfortune he found some remedy however for this fancy in another fancy by himself frankly confessing and declaring beforehand to the party with whom he was to have to do this subjection of his by which means the agitation of his soul was in some sort appeased and knowing that now some such misbehaviour was expected from him the restraint upon his faculties grew less and afterwards at such times as he was in no such apprehension when setting about the act his thoughts being then disengaged and free and his body in its true and natural estate he was at leisure to cause the part to be handled and communicated to the knowledge of the other party he was totally freed from that vexatious infirmity after a man has once done a woman right he is never after in danger of misbehaving himself with that person unless upon the account of some excusable weakness neither is this disaster to be feared but in adventures where the soul is overextended with desire or respect and especially where the opportunity is of an unforeseen and pressing nature in those cases there is no means for a man to defend himself from such a surprise as shall put him altogether out of sorts i have known some who have secured themselves from this mischance by coming half sated elsewhere purposely to abate the ardour of the fury and others who being grown old find themselves less impotent by being less able and one who found an advantage in being assured by a friend of his that he had a counter-charm of enchantments that would secure him from this disgrace the story itself is not much amiss and therefore you shall have it a count of a very great family and with whom i was very intimate being married to a fair lady who had formerly been courted by one who was at the wedding all his friends were in very great fear but especially an old lady his kinswoman who had the ordering of the solemnity and in whose house it was kept suspecting his rival would offer foul play by these sorceries which fear she communicated to me i bade her rely upon me i had by chance about me a certain flat plate of gold whereon were graven some celestial figures supposed good against sunstroke or pains in the head being applied to the suture where that it might the better remain firm it was sewed to a ribbon to be tied under the chin a foppery cousin german to this of which i am speaking jacques pelletier who lived in my house had presented this to me for a singular rarity i had a fancy to make some use of this knack and therefore privately told the count that he might possibly run the same fortune other bridegrooms had sometimes done especially someone being in the house who no doubt would be glad to do him such a courtesy but let him boldly go to bed for i would do him the office of a friend and if need were would not spare a miracle it was in my power to do provided he would engage to me upon his honour to keep it to himself and only when they came to bring him his caudle if matters had not gone well with him to give me such a sign and leave the rest to me now he had had his ears so battered and his mind so prepossessed with the eternal tattle of this business that when he came to it 
he did really find himself tied with the trouble of his imagination, and accordingly, at the time appointed, gave me the sign. Whereupon I whispered him in the ear that he should rise under pretence of putting us out of the room, and after a jesting manner pull my nightgown from my shoulders. We were of much about the same height, throw it over his own, and there keep it till he had performed what I had appointed him to do, which was that when we were all gone out of the chamber he should withdraw to make water, should three times repeat such and such words, and as often do such and such actions, that at every of the three times he should tie the ribbon I put into his hand about his middle, and be sure to place the medal that was fastened to it, the figures in such a posture, exactly upon his reins, which, being done, and having the last of the three times so well girt and fast tied the ribbon that it could neither untie nor slip from its place, let him confidently return to his business, and withal not forget to spread my gown upon the bed, so that it might be sure to cover them both. These apes' tricks are the main of the effect, our fancy being so far seduced as to believe that such strange means must, of necessity, proceed from some abstruse science. Their very inanity gives them weight and reverence, and certain it is that my figures approved themselves more venereal than solar, more active than prohibitive. "'Twas a sudden whimsy, mixed with a little curiosity, "'that made me do a thing so contrary to my nature, "'for I am an enemy to all subtle and counterfeit actions, "'and abominate all manner of trickery, "'though it be for sport and to an advantage. "'For though the action may not be vicious in itself, "'its mode is vicious. "'Amasis, king of Egypt, "'having married Laodice, a very beautiful Greek virgin, though noted for his abilities elsewhere, found himself quite another man with his wife, and could by no means enjoy her, at which he was so enraged that he threatened to kill her, suspecting her to be a witch. As tis usual in things that consist in fancy, she put him upon devotion, and, having accordingly made his vows to Venus, he found himself divinely restored the very first night after his oblations and sacrifices. Now, women are to blame to entertain us with that disdainful, coy, and angry countenance, which extinguishes our vigour as it kindles our desire. Which made the daughter-in-law of Pythagoras say that the woman who goes to bed to a man must put off her modesty with her petticoat, and put it on again with the same. The soul of the assailant, being disturbed with many several alarms, readily loses the power of performance and whoever the imagination has once put this trick upon, and confounded with the shame of it, and she never does it but at the first acquaintance, by reason men are then more ardent and eager, and also, at this first account a man gives of himself, he is much more timorous of miscarrying. Having made an ill beginning, he enters into such fever and despite at the accident, as are apt to remain and continue with him upon following occasions. Married people, having all their time before them, ought never to compel, or so much as to offer at the feet, if they do not find themselves quite ready. And it is less unseemly to fail of hand-selling the nuptial sheets, when a man perceives himself full of agitation and trembling, and to await another opportunity, at more private and more composed leisure, 
than to make himself perpetually miserable for having misbehaved himself and been baffled at the first assault. Till possession be taken, a man that knows himself subject to this infirmity should leisurely and by degrees make several little trials and light offers, without obstinately attempting at once to force an absolute conquest over his own mutinous and indisposed faculties. Such as know their members to be naturally obedient, need take no other care but only to counterplot their fantasies. The indocile liberty of this member is very remarkable, so importunately unruly in its tumidity and impatience when we do not require it, and so unseasonably disobedient when we stand most in need of it, so imperiously contesting in authority with the will, and with so much haughty obstinacy denying all solicitation both of hand and mind. And yet, though his rebellion is so universally complained of, and that proof is thence deduced to condemn him, if he had nevertheless feed me to plead his cause, I should peradventure bring the rest of his fellow-members into suspicion of complotting this mischief against him, out of pure envy at the importance and pleasure is special to his employment, and to have, by confederacy, armed the whole world against him, by malevolently charging him alone with their common offence. For let any one consider whether there is any one part of our bodies that does not often refuse to perform its office at the precept of the will, and that does not often exercise its function in defiance of her command. They have, every one of them, passions of their own, that rouse and awaken, stupefy and benumb them, without our leave or consent. How often do the involuntary motions of the countenance discover our inward thoughts, and betray our most private secrets to the bystanders? The same cause that animates this member does also, without our knowledge, animate the lungs, pulse, and heart, the sight of a pleasing object imperceptibly diffusing a flame through all our parts with a feverish motion. Is there nothing but these veins and muscles that swell and flag without the consent, not only of the will, but even of our knowledge also? We do not command our hairs to stand on end, nor our skin to shiver, either with fear or desire. The hands often convey themselves to parts to which we do not direct them. The tongue will be interdict and the voice congealed when we know not how to help it. When we have nothing to eat and would willingly forbid it, the appetite does not, for all that, forbear to stir up the parts that are subject to it, no more no less than the other appetite we are speaking of, and in like manner, as unseasonably, leaves us when it thinks fit. The vessels that serve to discharge the belly have their own proper dilatations and compressions, without and beyond our concurrence, as well as those which are destined to purge the reins, and that which, to justify the prerogative of the will, St. Augustine urges of having seen a man who could command his rear to discharge as often together as he pleased. Vives, his commentator, yet further fortifies with another example in his time, of one that could break wind in tune. But these cases do not suppose any more pure obedience in that part, for is anything commonly more tumultuary or indiscreet? To which, let me add, that I myself knew one so rude and ungoverned, as for forty years together 
made his master vent with one continued and unintermitted outbursting, and tis like will do so till he die of it. And I could hardly wish that I only knew by reading how often a man's belly, by the denial of one single puff, brings him to the very door of an exceeding painful death, and that the emperor who gave liberty to let fly in all places had, at the same time, given us power to do it. But for our will, in whose behalf we prefer this accusation, with how much greater probability may we reproach herself with mutiny and sedition for her irregularity and disobedience? Does she always will what we would have her to do? Does she not often will what we forbid her to will, and that to our manifest prejudice? Does she suffer herself, more than any of the rest, to be governed and directed by the results of our reason? To conclude, I should move, in the behalf of the gentleman my client, it might be considered that in this fact, his cause being inseparably and indistinctly conjoined with an accessory, yet he only is called in question, and that by arguments and accusations, which cannot be charged upon the other, whose business indeed it is sometimes inopportunely to invite, but never to refuse, and invite moreover after a tacit and quiet manner, and therefore is the malice and injustice of his accusers most manifestly apparent. But be it how it will, protesting against the proceedings of the advocates and judges, nature will, in the meantime, proceed after her own way, who had done but well had she endowed this member with some particular privilege. The author of the sole immortal work of mortals, a divine work according to Socrates, and love, the desire of immortality, and himself an immortal demon. Someone, perhaps, by such an effect of imagination, may have had the good luck to leave behind him here the scrofula, which his companion, who has come after, has carried with him into Spain. And tis, for this reason, you may see why men in such cases require a mind prepared for the thing that is to be done. Why do the physicians possess, beforehand, their patient's credulity with so many false promises of cure, if not to the end that the effect of imagination may supply the imposture of their decoctions? They know very well that a great master of their trade has given it under his hand that he has known some with whom the very sight of physic would work. All which conceits come now into my head by the remembrance of a story was told me by a domestic apothecary of my father's, a blunt Swiss, a nation not much addicted to vanity and lying, of a merchant he had long known at Toulouse, who, being a valetudinary and much afflicted with the stone, had often occasion to take clysters, of which he caused several sorts to be prescribed him by the physicians, according to the accidents of his disease, which, being brought him, and none of the usual forms, as feeling if it were not too hot and the like, being omitted, he lay down, the syringe advanced, and all ceremonies performed, injection alone excepted. After which, the apothecary being gone, and the patient accommodated as if he had really received a clyster, he found the same operation and effect than those do who have taken one indeed. And if at any time the physician did not find the operation sufficient, he would usually give him two or three more doses, after the same manner. And the fellow swore that to save charges, for he paid as if he had really taken them, 
this sick man's wife, having sometimes made trial of warm water only, the effect discovered the cheat, and finding these would do no good, was fain to return to the old way. A woman, fancying she had swallowed a pin in a piece of bread, cried and lamented as though she had an intolerable pain in her throat, where she thought she felt it stick. But an ingenious fellow that was brought to her, seeing no outward tumour nor alteration, supposing it to be only a conceit taken at some crust of bread that had hurt her as it went down, caused her to vomit, and, unseen, threw a crooked pin into the basin, which the woman no sooner saw, but believing she had cast it up, she presently found herself eased of her pain. I myself knew a gentleman, who, having treated a large company at his house, three or four days after, bragged in jest, for there was no such thing, that he had made them eat of a baked cat, at which a young gentlewoman, who had been at the feast, took such a horror, that falling into a violent vomiting and fever, there was no possible means to save her. Even brute beasts are subject to the force of imagination as well as we. Witness dogs, who die of grief for the loss of their masters, and bark and tremble and start in their sleep, so horses will kick and whinny in their sleep. Now all this may be attributed to the close affinity and relation betwixt the soul and the body intercommunicating their fortunes, but tis quite another thing when the imagination works not only upon one's own particular body, but upon that of others also, and as an infected body communicates its malady to those that approach or live near it, as we see in the plague, the smallpox, and sore eyes, that run through whole families and cities, dum spectant oculi lysos, lydunta et ipsi, multaque corporibus transitione nocent. When we look at people with sore eyes, our own eyes become sore. Many things are hurtful to our bodies by transition. Ovid, De Rem Amor, 615. So the imagination, being vehemently agitated, darts out infection capable of offending the foreign object. The ancients had an opinion of certain women of Scythia, that being animated and enraged against anyone, they killed him only with their looks. Tortoises and ostriches hatch their eggs with only looking on them, which infers that their eyes have in them some ejaculative virtue, and the eyes of witches are said to be assailant and hurtful. Nescio quis teneros oculis mihi fascinat agnos. Some eye, I know not whose, is bewitching my tender lambs. Virgil, Eclog, 3, 103. Magicians are no very good authority with me, but we experimentally see that women impart the marks of their fancy to the children they carry in the womb. Witness her that was brought to bed of a moor and there was presented to Charles the Emperor and King of Bohemia, a girl from about Pisa, all over rough and covered with hair, whom her mother said to be so conceived by reason of a picture of St. John the Baptist that hung within the curtains of her bed. It is the same with beasts, witness Jacob's sheep, and the hares and partridges that the snow turns white upon the mountains. There was at my house a little while ago a cat seen watching a bird upon the top of a tree. These, for some time, mutually fixing their eyes upon one another, 
the bird at last let herself fall dead into the cat's claws. Either dazzled by the force of its own imagination, or drawn by some attractive power of the cat. Such as are addicted to the pleasures of the field have, I make no question, heard the story of the falconer, who, having earnestly fixed his eyes upon a kite in the air, laid a wager that he would bring her down with the sole power of his sight, and did so, as it was said. For the tales I borrow I charge upon the consciences of those from whom I have them. The discourses are my own, and found themselves upon the proofs of reason, not of experience, to which everyone has liberty to add his own examples. And who has none, let him not forbear, the number and varieties of accidents considered, to believe that there are plenty of them. If I do not apply them well, let some other do it for me. And also, in the subject of which I treat, are manners and motions, testimonies and instances, how fabulous soever, provided they are possible, serve as well as the true. Whether they have really happened or no, at Rome or Paris, to John or Peter, tis still within the verge of human capacity, which serves me to good use. I see, and make my advantage of it, as well in shadow as in substance, and amongst the various readings thereof in history, I cull out the most rare and memorable to fit my own turn. There are authors whose only end and design it is to give an account of things that have happened. Mine, if I could arrive unto it, should be to deliver of what may happen. There is a just liberty allowed in the schools of supposing similitudes when they have none at hand. I do not, however, make any use of that privilege, and as to that matter, in superstitious religion, surpass all historical authority. In the examples which I here bring in, of what I have heard, read, done, or said, I have forbidden myself to dare to alter even the most light and indifferent circumstances. My conscience does not falsify one tittle. What my ignorance may do, I cannot say. And this it is that makes me sometimes doubt in my own mind whether a divine or a philosopher and such men of exact and tender prudence and conscience are fit to write history. For how can they stake their reputation upon a popular faith? How be responsible for the opinions of men they do not know? And with what assurance deliver their conjectures for current pay? Of actions performed before their own eyes, wherein several persons were actors, they would be unwilling to give evidence upon oath before a judge and there is no man so familiarly known to them, for whose intentions they would become absolute caution. For my part, I think it less hazardous to write of things past than present, by how much the writer is only to give an account of things everyone knows he must of necessity borrow upon trust. I am solicited to write the affairs of my own time by some who fancy I look upon them with an eye less blinded with passion than another and have a clearer insight into them by reason of the free access fortune has given me to the heads of various factions. But they do not consider that to purchase the glory of Salust, I would not give myself the trouble, sworn enemy as I am to obligation, assiduity, or perseverance, that there is nothing so contrary to my style as a continued narrative. I so often interrupt and cut myself short in my writing for want of breath, 
I have neither composition nor explanation worth anything, and am ignorant beyond the child of the phrases and even the very words proper to express the most common things, and for that reason it is that I have undertaken to say only what I can say, and have accommodated my subject to my strength. Should I take one to be my guide, per adventure I should not be able to keep pace with him, and in the freedom of my liberty might deliver judgments, which upon better thoughts, and according to reason, would be illegitimate and punishable. Plutarch would say, of what he has delivered to us, that it is the work of others. That his examples are all and everywhere exactly true, that they are useful to posterity, and are presented with a luster that will light us the way to virtue, is his own work. It is not of so dangerous consequence, as in a medicinal drug, whether an old story be so or so. End of chapter 20 Recording by Daniel Fraser